It's Otherwise, and welcome to it. My name is Shadow Twala, and uh, you're listening to Otherwise on SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. Uh, today, driving the desk for me is Derek Fordyce, and we will not take your calls, but I'm, I'm sure you'll have questions. You may tweet your questions to Shadow, at Shadow Twala on Twitter, and we'll make sure that uh, my guest can respond to them. Um, We'll talk today to N.K. Wood, and we're talking to all parents. You better listen, especially moms. Last week, we started talking about um, uh, toddlers, and this week, we thought we'd up it a bit and talk about teenagers, those troubled years. So, do stay tuned. Otherwise, on SAFM. Welcome, Anne, and thanks for joining us in the studio this time, as opposed to uh, a beautiful park. It's absolutely such a pleasure to be here, Shadow, and much warmer than last week in the company garden. Yes. It's lovely and cosy here. But I loved it because you had children, you know, making the appropriate noises in the background, and little did they know we're talking about them. Absolutely. <laughs> Maybe we need some teenagers in the background now having a fight. No, yes, <laughs> that's what would be happening. Sure. Teenagers have become a biggest challenge these days because uh, when I was a teenager, didn't my mom say that too? Mm -hmm. When I was a teenager, things were different. And moms today or parents today are dealing with a different type of teenager. Mm -hmm. Why is that? I think it's not so much a different type of teenager, although that obviously is, is a good point. I think what we're dealing with is a very different world. And the issues are much the same. You know, when you look back over time, it, the, the, the essential characteristic of adolescence has always been to flex your muscles of independence, to find your identity, to look at the adult world and choose your way in that adult world. And I don't think that has changed. But I think what has definitely changed is the, 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 the I suppose, temptations, the challenges mm. which face our teenagers today seem to be coming at an earlier and earlier age. Because my children are all grown up now, but I remember when my eldest daughter and her sister, and they're in their 40s now, or almost 40, the one, um, you know, the world seemed to be a bit simpler, and the issues started in around grade 8, grade 9, you know, the typical teenage issues of rebellion and mm -hmm. flexing those muscles. But today, and in my role as a, a primary school counsellor, part-time counsellor, those same issues are, are coming in to families, to children, to parents at about grade five, even grade four. You know, the, because of, um, I suppose, media, because of, of technology, peer pressure, those adolescent issues are coming into families at an earlier, an earlier age. Do you think parents should also go for counselling about parenting teenagers? Well, well, Shadow, that's something so close to my heart, which is why for years I worked at a place called the Parents Centre, because we, not that we blamed parents, but mm. we really felt, and as a group of social workers who used to work at child welfare, we formed the Parents Centre, and it was really aimed at just what you're saying, that no one... Is no child is born with a manual, mm -hmm. and so we you know we we fight our way, we sort of swim or sink, and sometimes <laughs> hopefully get to the other ends with our heads still above water. But you know there is no training for being a parent, and so definitely uh, I, I think it's usually when there's a problem child. Not that I blame the parents because I mean I've had my fair share of challenges, mm. but I do think that it's the parents' reaction 
to the child's behavior right from a young age, which is going to determine the child's future behavior. So it's not to blame the parent, but it's to say, you know, we as parents, we need to face the fact that we need to look at our reactions, our attitudes. And something which always amazes me is it's, it's, it's happened again this week. As a result of last week's program, I actually got quite a few email messages. Mm-hmm. And one of them was from someone, obviously a very, very good person, who was querying my a statement that I didn't believe in smacking or corporal yes, punishment, yes. and you know, it was to do with biblical principles and um, what you know, why is it so wrong to to smack a child, and which made me realise that, gosh, parents, adults still have a whole lot of mindset change to do. But as we discovered last week, you you your values are formed by the way you were brought up. Yeah. So you transfer that to your little ones, and, and so it continues. Well, it's, it, it, absolutely, and I think when, when, especially during adolescence, if we as adults can understand that the central um, characteristic, the challenge for adolescence, and there's a psychologist, Eric Erickson, and he's, I mean, I won't go into his, into his theories, but he was a kind of neo-Freudian. Mm-hmm. And he had divided, he died, in his theories, divided the whole of life up into what he called critical stages of development. I won't go into it all. But the adolescent's critical task is to develop a sense of identity. And the way you develop a sense of identity when you're an adolescent is to fight values and and norms and lifestyle and so on. And if parents could have the, the I suppose, assertiveness, the self-esteem to realize that, 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 that adolescents, teenagers, need boundaries, rules, values to push, and they will do that. And if they eventually come out the other end, you know, inculcating our values, they often do. And sometimes they don't. A lot of it depends on the way we handle that crisis mm-hmm. and that process. Mm-hmm. So we do want them to, to take on our values, but sometimes it is their right, possibly if, if you look at something like religious values. Maybe they decide they don't want to go to church every Sunday, mm-hmm. or they don't want to be Muslim or Jewish or Christian. They want to be something else, and that is their inalienable right as young adults to do that, as long as we have given them that firm foundation from which to launch them. And they may, for instance, I mean, I've had, and I'm sure we all have the issues where we perhaps shouldn't sweat the small stuff so much. You know, in adolescence, if they want to wear a baggy T-shirt church, (laughs) at least they're going. You know, they don't have to wear a smart outfit Mm -hmm. necessarily unless the church or the school or the place they're going to has a particular dress code, which, of course, then they would have to make choice, you know. And where are, when, what are the critical years? I mean, where should you start um, letting go in bits and pieces? Because you obviously want to protect as a parent, mm-hmm. and you take them to school, they, they, they teach each other, or they parent each other teenagers mm-hmm. at school, you know, and end up with so many other things, and they bring them home. Mm-hmm. And you let it go, and you blame other kids half the time, but when... When do you just allow that breathing space for them to explore, but still keep um, keep to keep themselves as, as good teenagers? Good, yes. good being the operative word, and, and also safe and so on. And mm-hmm. I think that is a very important thing that I'll come back to in a while. That issue of safety, but I think separation. You know, if you think of the psychological process of separation, starts from birth mm-hmm. when the umbilical cord is cut, and of course. 
I think so many of us as parents, we maybe hang on too long. We feel, I, know I was quite a controlling parent, still am probably, <laughs> and, um, you know, you feel you know best and, and you, you know what's best for your children. And so it's starting from quite young realizing when is it appropriate for this little one, perhaps maybe they put their shoes on the wrong foot and maybe mm. it's not such a bad thing or they don't make their bed perfectly or whatever. Or they and don't make their bed at, at all. all. But then, you know, we, we, we can have some non-negotiable rules in our families which are very important. But I think it is letting go age appropriately. But we do need to understand that by the time they get to teenage, say 13, 14, maybe 12 these days, it's, uh, they f- essentially need parents Adults who are able to set firm limits and boundaries and to tolerate their wrath, their pushing within that, you know. Oh, and they push. And they do push. Oh, they but you push. see, when the boundaries then fall down after they push, sometimes they feel very confused and scared because they're not ready to cope with mm. whatever it is they're actually fighting for. And sometimes, and I've seen this in my own children, they almost want to be able to blame a parent. You know, it's easier to say, oh, my mother or my father is, you know, an old-fashioned witch or whatever, mm-hmm. than go to them and say, actually, I don't think... I should do this. I don't want to come to that party or club or whatever. But to be able to blame a parent, and they they will still fight, and they and we we need to be able to tolerate that and to know actually, I know you're angry. I see you upset and disappointed. But actually, right now, it's still not going to move. You're still not going to go to that party or that club. But then and but but, but when but that we start another spiral of Of course it does, and that's perhaps a more serious <laughs> issue. But I think if we look at and you're asking such a good question about letting go, and sometimes we need to let go, for instance, knowing that we can't force them to do a pro- school project in the way we think they should. Mm. Maybe they've got to learn the consequence at school that maybe they didn't do it as they should. But from what I've seen in my practice and, and so on, is that as parents we sometimes don't want, when they're little and perhaps 11, 12, we so badly don't want them to suffer the consequences, get into trouble at school, be ostracized mm. by a friend, not be invited to a party that we take over too much. And that is where that letting go needs to take place. Let them experience the consequence of a choice they made. You know, perhaps not to finish their homework. All right, then you're going to hopefully get into trouble at school Mm. or have a consequence at school. Mm. You don't take your warm jacket, you feel cold. You don't take your school lunch or you forget to pack it, you perhaps go hungry that day. And that's learning. Maybe next time I must be more careful. (laughs) But But usually they get lunch from their friends, which is better than (laughs) what they would have taken with them. But when when do you let them... Because sometimes it's dangerous to just let them suffer the consequences, even though they know something is wrong. You lock them out because they didn't come home uh, on time. Mm-hmm. Do you lock them out or what sort of other punishment? Shadow, I think we must be very careful to be age-appropriate. And there's a very big difference between, and that's where it's so difficult as a parent to get the balance, to know when is the balance. When is it appropriate to, for instance, say, look, sorry, I know you've left your book at home or whatever. I'm not bringing it to school. Mm. Knowing that they're safe at school, the teachers are reasonable, and there will be a consequence at school or not. And if there isn't, well, then we mustn't get involved un- unnecessarily. Mm. But we, it's like parents have said things, and I probably wanted to say too, maybe I have. You know, if you go on fighting in the car, I'm going to put you out in the traffic. And we know we won't. And they know we won't. Well, hopefully we won't. <laughs> or, you know, I'm going to leave you in this shopping center. You, you, you can find your way home. And they're five years old. And we do sometimes say things which we know we won't carry through. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, then a history develops. We have ah. children. They know we won't do it. So ne- we must never say to, to a teenager, I mean, of any age really, unless they, you know, 
we know they're streetwise and capable. Um, to, to, you know, to say if you're not home by 10 o'clock and, and the child's 14, I'll lock you out. We, that's, that's, we know that's unsafe. And we know we, we shouldn't do that. Mm. But there are other consequences which we can do. Mm. You know, like I'll take your cell phone away or you'll be grounded next time you want to go out. But the issue is we need, and this is where I've said it and I say it and I kind of almost feel like I'm boring myself when I say it and maybe many other people, that the, the whole, I suppose, bottom line of effective discipline of teenagers particularly is we do need to have a reasonable relationship with our children. Mm-hmm. And and effective p- positive communication, if possible, and that's a whole story. Sure. But we need to because if we've got a very strained relationship, um, and it's not to blame parents or, or the teenagers, say, look, this is the situation. In order to for the discipline and the cooperation to work better, I need to perhaps work on building my relationship, while simid- simultaneously, obviously, we can't just let go of boundaries. Mm-hmm. But discipline usually will work well within the boundaries of a more or less positive relationship. And that's the difficult part because with teenagers it can get very strained. And we're only human. So we can lose it. But then we, the next step is we, when we set, make a rule or set a boundary, we sit with our teenager, hopefully, in the ideal world, and say, look, this, this, some things are non-negotiable. This, the, and and the, the issue, I suppose, the difficulty is to learn which are negotiable and which aren't. But the, the safety issues are usually the Mm non-negotiables. Like you will not go to an underage club. Mm -hmm. You know, if I find that you're drinking or going with someone who hasn't got a car license, whatever it might be, then we, without screaming and shouting and making threats that we won't carry through, we calmly say, I will be disappointed, you know, it's non-negotiable, and then the consequence will be that then you'll be grounded for whatever time or take your cell phone or your iPad or whatever it might be. So that when it happens, if it happens, hopefully it doesn't, but if it does, one doesn't have to then on the spur of the moment out of anger and frustration um, then put a punishment consequence in place which is too stringent and Mm. sometimes Mm. unenforceable. And that's what I see with, with teenage parents is that in the heat of the moment, out of understandable fury, anguish, fear, whatever, we, 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 we say things and we say, um, make threats and then put in consequences, punishments, which we then can't put in place. Or sometimes we can, could put in place, but we just haven't got the strength that, you know, we're too tired and they wear us down. So it's far better to have an enforceable, simple consequence. Like, you know, if you're not waiting outside McDonald's at Cavendish <laughs> at six o'clock, Without, you know, a reasonable explanation, perhaps five minutes, maybe I can understand, then next weekend you will not go out. Or I will take your phone for two days. And then the child, you know, you drive around the block five times, child comes out. The key is to stay calm but firm and to be able to say, I'm very upset. You can be, you can have it with eyes blazing. We had a deal and now you know the consequence. And it's almost then one says, you've chosen it. Mm. <clears throat> What is happening to a child? Because, you know, I've heard moms talk about that transition from from childhood to to, to adulthood, from teenage to adulthood, mm-hmm. is a difficult one for them as well. Because, mm-hmm. as you say, they're holding on, they're trying to explore the world, mm-hmm. but they still want to hold on to the mm-hmm. safety that they have. Mm-hmm. Maybe if we understood that better, we would know how to support them. Because mm-hmm. in 
ideally they need support at that point. Absolutely. That's, that's, you see, if, if, when, I, when I deal with, with serious parenting issues, I always start by saying, and I mean, I don't want to give a whole long expose now, but I start by saying, look, we're all born with a, with a temperament. Some people are very easy. Some people are more difficult, challenging. Essentially, right from the beginning, a, a very important I suppose challenge for parents and teachers is to understand the basic genetic temperament, which doesn't mean we just give up and say, I've got a difficult child, I can't do anything. But then we need to learn to manage it. Second important thing is the stage of development. Mm -hmm. And if you look at, um, you know, uh, adolescence is... It, it's like toddlerhood. Toddlerhood is a, a transitional stage between babyhood and childhood. Mm-hmm. And that's also a difficult stage. <laughs> then the next stage is, is adolescence, which is a transitional stage between childhood and adulthood. Mm-hmm. And of course, and as I said, you know, all the issues of adulthood, sexual identity, identification, you know, um, the, the job world, my, my future employment, the kind of person I want to be, the kind of um, values I want to inculcate into my future life, those are all the issues of adolescence. And your body is also taking that new shapes. Huge, huge. And the, the hormones <clears throat> and the peer pressure. And of course, today our children, uh, the peer pressure comes in the form of, you know, look at advertising, media. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, Shadow, it was a very interesting thing as a school counselor. It took me a long time to realize I, I would do life, life orientation exercises. And I would give these the girls, because it was a girls' school. Still am at a girls' school, and I'd say, you know, let's. I was looking at bullying and how to speak nicely, and we'd do role plays. And it took me a while, and I said, why is it that every time they do the role play the nasty way, they speak with an American accent? <laughs> and you don't have to be a rocket scientist. You suddenly, I looked at what the teenagers were watching, you know, Television. even high school musical, you know, mm. not that I was against it or anything. I said, you know, you look at this Sharpay, I mean, it was almost, it was almost glamorized. Nastiness. Mm. I won't use that horrible B word on the radio. But, yeah. you know, <laughs> but, but, but that, and, and so our children are exposed from a young age to almost this kind of, and they put their hands on their hips and they flick their hair and they, it's almost like it's clever to be like that. So it's they cool. Start, it's and cool it's cool. Mm. And it's not cool to be kind and nice and gentle. Mm. And that's what our children, which I, certainly in my generation, we weren't exposed to those things. So they, if all through childhood and particularly the as crucial as adolescence is huge for them. So when I'm talking about temperament, life stage, I say to parents and teachers, we need to have it in our mindset, that understanding of what they're going through, because that will help us to develop empathy. Mm. Put myself in my child's shoes. What is, what is the world they're dealing with? It doesn't mean that because I understand that my toddler has temper tantrums, which is normal, or my teenager is rebellious, which is normal, that I do nothing about it. Mm. You know, as an ad- effective adult, I have my weaknesses and my crises and my bad days, and I'm allowed to. But it's up to me to learn how to manage the, the stage that the child's going through. And the first important thing is to have empathy. Empathy with firmness. I understand how you're feeling, my girl, my boy, but in this house, we do not speak that way. And if you go on, there will be some sort of consequence. Now, I, I, I'm listening to you, and I'm thinking of my own life, and I'm thinking of the, the teenagers I know around me, parents, especially moms, single moms, are having a very tough time. Mm-hmm. Because then when, while you empathize and while you're, you're, you're trying to understand and be supportive, it's also not a cool thing to do to, to be seen to to get help from mom, mm-hmm. uh, mom doesn't know anything. Yeah. So 
you know, firstly, they don't share with you. But secondly, when you do give advice or give support, it's rejected. Mm. Yes, I know. And I think this is, this is why so many times um, schools need to have a counsellor. Children need to know. Absolutely. I mean, I, I listened to a psychologist a while ago giving a talk, and he said to the parents of grade six, sixes, he said, parents, the last thing your child needs is to have you as their best friend. <laughs> You're the parent. You can be a friendly parent. But right there, you know, you said we, ha- we need to have a good relationship with our children. Mm-hmm. And some people say my daughter's my best friend. Mm-hmm. So where do you draw the line? Well, you see, I always worry about that. Yes, I mean, hopefully <coughs> one wants to have a good relationship and have a friendship relationship, but particularly as our children get older, you know, then you can sit across. I think I can do that with my grown-up children now. You know, definitely sit and have coffee and chat about their children and so on, and it's wonderful. But growing up, you know, and even now, I mean, at the end of the day, I'm still the mother, mm-hmm. and they're still my children. They might be grown-up children. But I think the, 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 the statement you made about adolescents, and that it is, they don't often want to talk. They don't even often want to talk to the school counsellor mm-hmm. because they also feel very um, threatened sometimes by the fact that confidentiality confidentiality might be broken they become very private and some more than others mm-hmm. but I think that I've, I've really noticed particularly uh, with the children at the schools that I've worked with when as an adult we are able to withdraw it's kind of um, I suppose uh, minimize the direct questions we ask because direct questions become very intrusive and defensive making really? and very much so. You think I call it? I call it litigational language. It's what lawyers and advocates do in court because they have to. And um, it, I, I know for myself, you know, if I'm subjected to a cross question, what were you doing? How was it? You know, where were you today? Whatever, you become monosyllabic. You say either yes or no, or okay. leave me alone. But what 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 I try to teach, and I've tried to teach myself as well, and it's very difficult as a mom, as a parent especially when you're in the heat of the moment, is to try as much as possible to use open-ended questions, you know, and the sort of um, decoding of behavior. And it's very difficult when you see your child really behaving badly to be able to say, I can see you've had a really hard day. I understand you've had a hard day, but I don't really like to be spoken to that way. But when you're ready, I'm making a cup of tea. Please come and tell me about it. It's when they get to the, uh, you know, sort of 17, 18, mm. 16, 17, 18, sometimes it's very hard to break down resistance. But really, I think, and what I've noticed is why it becomes more difficult is because we are too intrusive, we ask too many questions, and we give advice too quickly, and that's not empathy. Now, empathy is being able to put yourself in the other person's shoes, and it's almost as if we, well, it is, we understand the feeling while simultaneously saying we don't like the behavior that you are choosing to express your feelings by, if that makes sense. How much space do you give then? You know, you're mm-hmm. saying I'm going to make a cup of tea, you know, take a mm-hmm. time and come join me. Mm-hmm. But how much space do you give without being litigational mm-hmm. and not asking direct questions? And maybe, oh, let me give her time, and when she's ready, she'll come through. Mm-hmm. Uh, Will that not be seen as mom doesn't care how I'm feeling, mom doesn't care, you know, how much time I'm alone? Shadow, I think it depends on how we do it. And, and it, you know, it's for instance, the, the simple example, and, and it's of a, young ch- a younger ch- child, but sometimes it's easier to give those examples, but we can then generalize it to the older children. The typical thing, you know, when you, a parent of a young child fetches them from school, maybe at lunchtime, 
And, I mean, I did it. You're so keen to find out what they did. How was your day? What did you do? Who did you play with? Did you eat your lunch? Was your teacher nice to you? Mm. And what they do is they just say, yes, no, fine, and they bottle up. Mm. And then, unfortunately, we get into that pattern, and they get into that pattern, and they pull away. But I think that when it's when, and, and the, there are lines that need to be drawn, and I mean, I must draw attention to the adolescence that that we I often deal with, and so there are serious problems already developed, and you know we cannot move away from that. That some a- adolescents do get involved with unacceptable groups, mm-hmm. people, mm-hmm. dangerous situations out there, drugs, mm-hmm. alcohol, promiscuous sex. Mm-hmm. You know, and as parents, we're worried about their safety, their AIDS, and all those things, and that's why I feel as parents we have the right. To, and there's, there's certain things that we, you know, if we've noticed that there's something serious going on, we have the right, absolutely, probably the responsibility to be able to say it's absolutely unacceptable. I will not allow that behavior. I know that it's hard for you. I can see you're very upset. I will give you half an hour. I will give you, let's have a cup of tea, but I need to sort this out before we go to bed tonight. I'm speaking with M.K. Wood in the studio. We're talking teenagers. And you may tweet us on Shadatwala um, <clears throat> on Twitter. And uh, we'll take news headlines now. And we're coming back to talk about, I want to know all about teenagers and sex and alcohol and drugs and all of that kind of thing. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> yes. So we'll, and we'll introduce Anne's books to you uh, when we come back. But here's news headlines with Othila Sarko. Thanks, Shadow. In the headlines, the rand has weakened by over 1% against major currencies after the announcement today that consumer inflation breached to the ceiling of the Reserve Bank's target band in July. Inflation in July hit 6.3%, accelerating from 5.5% in June. Ahang SA leader Dr. Mampela Rampele has called on President Jacob Zuma to follow her example and disclose his finances to the public. The software Ampela today published full details of her financial accounts for scrutiny by the public. And Syrian opposition activists have reported extensive shelling by government forces of areas outside the capital, Damascus. Details at 2 o'clock. Otherwise, on SAFM... We're talking teenagers, and Anne's book is called Teenagers Need Boundaries, Effective Discipline Without Punishment. How do we discipline them? I think, Shadow, everything that we've been speaking about up to this moment has been about discipline. Is about discipline. Mm. And, you know, I think um, without going into huge, long explanations, which I have to watch my, my, my own boundaries there because it's something so close to my heart, I think discipline starts from... The beginning. It starts from the way we, when they're little, we start to send that, set those gentle boundaries, say no to an extra ice cream or whatever. So it, it always is formed within the containment, let's say, within the safe container of the parent relationship. Mm-hmm. I think um, I want to just come back in a minute to single parenting and discipline, if mm-hmm. I may, but I'm just going to sidetrack for a minute. And just to almost in a way... Um, reiterate what I said last week when I was sitting in the gardens is that discipline is not synonymous with punishment in my mind. Okay. It's not synonymous. Discip- and, but to many parents it is. And the p- word punishment which comes from, you know, those old days when, does that, and I mean I have lots of questions about this, the biblical thing, spare the rod, spoil the child. 
And then I'll say to people, but you know, if we wanted to live by those days, we would still be, you know, an eye for an eye. Women would still be beaten. Unfortunately, they still are sometimes. So I don't want to get into all of that. Mm-hmm. But discipline to me, if we want to really be effective parents today, is not being permissive. It's not. And many people misunderstand me when I say I don't agree with corporal punishment. Okay. And then they think, oh, she's just a soft kind of person. Because it doesn't help, does it? It doesn't help. I can talk about that for hours. But um, but I don't mean, because just when I say no smacks or corporal punishment, I don't mean no discipline. Because discipline is essential. We all need discipline. We Mm. need boundaries. If I park on a red line under a no-stop sign and I know the rule, in a way I have then chosen the consequence, which might be a ticket on my window. Yeah, but how do you explain that to, to a young person? Well, 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 by doing it from when they're young. You know, mm. if, you, if you go on fighting with your friend, you're going to have to come and sit on the little think about it chair. This is when they're five. And you do it. I see you've chosen to come and sit next to mommy or daddy for a few minutes. So it, it, hopefully it becomes inculcated into the way we behave. It's that we know if I don't pay my tax, I might get a fine. If I hit somebody mm. in the street. I mean, I say to people, you know, why is it we think we can hit our children when if we hit another adult, we'd oh, probably, yeah. we'd have a, 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 a sword charge led mm-hmm. against us. Anyway, we won't go into all of that, but teenagers particularly will not respond to that harsh, old-fashioned punishment. But hopefully they will, because they do it at school very often, when they know that the rule is there, and if they go on breaking the rule, they will have to come to Saturday detention or, or whatever it might be. They usually do eventually get it. But the, 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 if we don't sit down necessarily and explain it to them, we do it by the way we react to their behaviors and set the boundaries. You know, if they come, a 14-year-old comes, they want to go to a, um, a party, and you don't know the parents. And you say, all right, let's talk about it. You're 14. I'd love you to go to the party, but I need to phone just to check that mm. there will be mm. parental service. You can't do that. None of my friends' parents do that. You're so old-fashioned. I'm sorry you feel that way. I see you disappoint, upset with me. But the choice is I check, and then you can possibly go to the party. I don't check, and you don't go. Your choice. Checking and policing and going into people's rooms when they don't want you there uh, mm. to, you know, when are you invading their space? Mm-hmm. Um you know, when you insist that you need to know, when is it seen as an invasion? Is there a better way of doing it? I think, again, it depends on the issue. And all of these depend on the issue. And, you know, over the years, parents have said to me things like, well, they've checked the child's diary in the old days. Mm. Now it would be the cell phone or the, or the computer history or whatever. And they say, look, if you've got reason enough, to believe that your child is, 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 is dabbling with something unsafe, uh, illegal. I believe then as parents we have the, the obligation, the responsibility to check. And, of course, they're not going to give us permission. You know, can I have yourself and they're going to fight and say, it's, you know, it's not fair, it's mine. Um, I need to come into your bedroom to talk to you, to check something. They're not going to let you. So, once again, one goes back to the basic respect the, the communication, and if you if, if if you're just a little bit worried and you don't want to sort of break the trust and the confidentiality, then of course we don't go too far into into an invasion of privacy. But when we are really worried and we have reason to be, and I, I can cite many examples at the at the school I work at at the moment, you know, where 
where you, parents get worried about what they're doing with, with cell phones. Mm-hmm. And in junior schools, they're sending all kinds of messages. They're doing things. They know much more than, certainly than I know. That we knew that we at knew, their and, age. Yes. Well, well, and that I even know now, you know, because I'm, I'm of that generation where it took me ages even to learn to send an SMS. Mm-hmm. But, um, but they know. And so I say to parent after parent, look, you build your relationship, you trust your child, but when you get a bit concerned and, or you get messages from other parents or from the school, you need to say to your child, look, having a cell phone, an iPad, a laptop or whatever is a privilege. It's not your right. And I'm still a parent. And if I'm worried, and even if I'm a little bit worried, I have the right to, to check from time to time mm-hmm. because that's the only way we're going to keep them safe. They don't want us to, but they must know. Is a sign, do you see that as a sign when you want to check and they don't want you to? It could be. Of course, depending on the age. I mean, a 13-year-old, one hopefully is letting go slowly. So obviously with a 13-year-old, there's far more. I would always say to parents, if a 13 or 12-year-old, whatever age, gets a cell phone for a birthday present, say to them, this is your birthday present, but it's, you know, it's a loaded weapon. It's a a smoking gun, you know, and... I am still your parent, and I can I still reserve the right to check what you're doing, because it's so difficult otherwise. But say that at the beginning, uh, a 17, 18 year old becomes more difficult because by 18 they become free of the children's act. They kind of can do what they can vote, they can drink, mm. they can drive, they mm. can get married. It's to be a parent. You yeah. once you're still a parent. The difficulty <clears throat> is with with teenagers and the older teenager is that they're not yet financially independent, so they still need us. And they live under your roof yeah, still. sometimes for a long time. But, you know, so one's got to sort of move into that more adult-adult space. But you still have a right. They're living in your house. You still have a right to set some rules and to have some parameters. So sneaking in is not an option. You know, sneaking in is to be avoided if at all possible. It's far better to say, look, I'm worried and I am, I'm, I'm giving you warning. I need to check. Mm. And mm. I give you until 6 o'clock tonight. In other words, if they want to go and hide things or whatever, <laughs> they will. But, um, but, but uh, or unless it's something very serious. Mm. And, and you've been told and you know that maybe, I mean, heaven help us, they dealing in at school. Or, mm. or, I mean, mm. we hear of these things. And then immediately. And it's like I say to children, I mean, I, I will be counseling a young teenager and they'll come and tell me things which I'm worried about and they don't want me to tell their parents. And, of course, I'm bound by confidentiality yes, rules as yes. a social worker. Then I'll say, look, I will keep your confidentiality until such time as I feel you could be at risk. Mm. If I feel you at risk, then I'm afraid my responsibility as a social worker is that I do need to alert your parents. How do you introduce the sex subject to your your child at what point and and I'm I'm going to ask you a hundred questions in one because Mm. it's all about sex and I think you you're so so um, you're so good at talking about the stuff that you you'll cover all of them when do you introduce the subject especially to teenagers when do you find out whether how do you have the conversation are you having sex are you not I think Shadow it's very that's a very sensitive issue and I suppose one has to go right back to the beginning. You know, those days of the one-off birds and bees talk, which I, you know, in my generation, and certainly I suppose my children would laugh because, you know, I didn't do it the way I'm advising parents today to do. Mm -hmm. But because children are exposed to so much more, I say to parents, you know, they shouldn't go to to grade one without basic knowledge of of the, the 
the, just the basics, you know, where the babies Birds come from. Yeah, well, you know, they ask the questions. They'll say if they haven't asked the question by the time they're eight or nine, you need to tell them anyway. And there are good mm-hmm. books available because it becomes part of, you know, life orientation very often. It will come into it by grade four, five. Certainly, you know, by grade seven, experts come into schools and tell them everything. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one always wants to be sure that the parents are on board as well and that they're also discussing it. So it becomes part of one's conversation. One can talk about, for instance, the sort of programs are watching on TV, bring in the discussion, you know, is that a nice way to behave, what happened. By the time they become teenagers, they re- really don't, it's embarrassing for them, you know. They mm-hmm. don't want to talk mm-hmm. to mom and dad about that. Heaven help us, you know, if mom, moms and dads don't do those things. And so it becomes very difficult. And there it's more a question of if our relationship and our communication is quite open, it, should, it would come into sort of conversation around the supper table or whatever, the sort of programs they're watching, the things they pick up at school. And, you know, hopefully we can encourage that. And we've got to watch our reaction because they might be testing us too. You know, they Mm. might come home and talk about abortion or so-and-so's, you're really, you know, sexually active. There's a girl pregnant at school. Exactly, Mm. exactly. And that's the the opening to talk. And once again, to avoid direct questions like, why are you asking that? Is it because you're doing that? Mm -hmm. But just say, gosh, yes, that's a very important thing. And how, you know, how does that make you feel? And it's a very um, topical and important question to, to discuss. And what would you do if? Because the last thing you want is children to think that if it should happen to them, they're going to run away or slip their wrists or whatever because they're, they're going to disappoint their parents so much. So it does become an, I think, it, at the very least, what we should be doing, I suppose, is putting them in, um, you know, in touch with good books, good programs they can watch. But most, mostly, especially by high school, it's very much covered in life orientation, and they talk about it and to each other and so on. Yeah, but you, you can't leave it to the school totally no, no, because no. you need you need to participate in that conversation. Yeah, you see, they won't. They won't. To, to my knowledge of, of teenagers and my own as well, they won't take kindly to that to sort of being sat down and being given the talk mm. at that stage because it's embarrassing and they usually know it all well they think they do by that stage so it's better to do it in a, in a more gentle way and also to watch the cues and if one's a little bit worried to say you know I've noticed and use the empathy you know it seems like we're not communicating so well anymore I'm, I'm feeling sad about that because we used to be able to and we seem to be losing something give me some ideas how would how can we reconnect well even when they know about sex but you want to know that they're not participating in it and if they are then they're doing the right thing well I think sometimes without we then we're not going to find out you know they're going to tell us if we ask are you or not mm. the last person they tell is their mother <laughs> and I think then if you get a suspicion it would be better to say things like you know look I'm getting a bit concerned I know you at, at your age maybe it's something which which could happen and then leave a pamphlet lying around or there is a family planning clinic or hopefully do you realize what could happen <laughs> but I mean that's, that's that's something which hopefully would have come into conversations but Shadow I think you know certainly in my generation um, which is the dark ages yeah. you know it was something one didn't really discuss with one's children and I think what the wonderful thing I mean teenagers today I just think teenagers today are fantastic mostly and I know we have the problems and I know we're scared and we hear all the terrible things but there are also many good things mm-hmm. and many teenagers and you know I'm thinking of the schools I've worked at on my own I've got teenage grandchildren three teenage granddaughters at the moment and they're just lovely 
And, um, you know, one thinks, well, maybe it's something's rubbed off and their parents <laughs> are great and so on. But there, there are all these problems, but they're also all the wonderful things. And so one has to also look at that and see, you know, t- being a teenager for them is difficult. Mm. And for us, it's very difficult because the world has changed so quickly. I mean, since I was a teenager in the when, 60s, well, well. we won't even say. It's, it, and then it was, it was also difficult. But, you know, there were clearer boundaries between parents and children. And there were certain things you just didn't do because you didn't. But didn't mean to say you didn't. You just didn't want your parents to find out. When do you stop the, the boy-girl sleepovers? When do they become uncomfortable? That's a very, that's a very again because we, that's why I asked you about sex because mm. you know when do they start reckon, or exploring with each other? Because in the past, you know, mm-hmm. sleepovers are very common. And at what age do you, do you think sleepovers should not be kind of sharing a bed, that sort of thing? Well, I think that's a very subjective question, Shadow, and mm. I think it's a very hard one to answer because my, my answer to, um, to, to young, parents of young, say, junior school children would be, and in my experience, I don't think many parents of even junior school children, I mean, unless they are preschoolers and they have a, a sleepover where the parents are very involved. But most parents, will the boundaries will start coming in. And even if a child is at a co-ed school, you'll find in many cases, you know, if the, if it, obviously they'll, they'll, if at a co-ed school they may invite boys and girls, but it's not for a sleepover. It's a party, which mm-hmm. then they go home. Or, and I've just heard of one this morning, where, um, you know, the, 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 some of the children will go home at whatever time, and a few, the best well, friends, will stay for a sleepover. Mm-hmm. So I think we, as parents, also we need to be very careful about those, those clear boundaries and what sort of supervision is there, and do we trust those other parents? And then, of course, <laughs> I suppose it goes full circle, and by the time they get to 18, they're going to go to on their sleepovers anyway, mm-hmm. probably one-on-one with a boyfriend, <laughs> you know, and we're not really going to know about it. Um, so I think it's a difficult thing. It's all, everything we've spoken about it leads up to, you know, the slow letting go. Sometimes we have to let go a bit quick, more quickly. That we as parents need help. We need sometimes a bit of counselling, support groups. And Shadow, I want to emphasise, and with all the empathy in the world, how hard it is for single parents. Sure. And there are many single parents today. And maybe that's a whole other discussion. But, you know, for I, I, want, I could talk to you forever because I think this is such an important subject. Uh, we know, we know what. Um, a lot of parents are, are grappling with from, from, look, we read about all the pornographic stuff that's been found internationally today. Mm-hmm. So how children can, can communicate it when things are not happening the way they should with either people they don't know or people they even know and trust mm-hmm. to when they are teenagers and adults, in fact. Mm-hmm. Girls and boys, I think, are at risk. So I'm, I, I'm hoping that you would uh, visit us again. I'd love to. Because all your books have got such interesting information for all parents. Um, and are, your books are, are everywhere at all bookstores? Well, at most. No, exclusives do have mm-hmm. them. And I think Kalahari um, do have them. Some other bookshelves. Otherwise, I know that my publishers meet press. And they very and, and the distributors will, if, if an exclusive books outlet doesn't have any of them, they will order them. Boundaries series, eh? The Boundaries series. The Boundaries yes. series and Kay Wood. And uh, you, you run a, a private practice in Cape Town. Yes, you? I do. And yes. so is there a number where people may well, find yes, you? Well, well, I think the best would probably be my web address. Your web address. www.boundariesinc.com. Mm-hmm. 
www.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca